Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, August the 24th, 2023. Regular viewers of the show know we've been trying to so to speak, remember the future. We've been going back and thinking about the origins of social media and blogging uh, in order to figure out what to do about social media, given Elon Musk and X and Zuckerberg and Threads and all the other hysteria and drama around contemporary social media. A couple of weeks ago, we had the great blogger and technologist Dave Weiner on the show, the father in many people's views of blogging itself uh, and the author of scripting news one of the oldest continuous blogs and then a couple of days ago we had ethan zuckerman another longtime uh, pundit technologist observer writer on the show remembering the digital future another guy who's been around a long time is my guest today on the show uh scott rosenberg longtime journalist thinker activist he was even there right at the beginning with uh, the whole elect uh, the whole Earth electronic link, and Scott is joining us, uh, looking very youthful given uh, how <laughs> aged he is in terms of digital history uh, from my old haunt in Berkeley. Scott, um, do you feel ancient these days? Well, to a degree, yes. Uh, you know, I realized uh, in in thinking about uh, this this. Uh, interview that I built my first website just almost 30 years ago now. So when you think 30 years of, uh, of, of doing, you know, HTML websites, uh, I'm still, I'm an online journalist now, you know, I'm, I'm still doing that. Uh, 30 years is a long time. It is a long time in, in anyone's uh, lifetime. Uh, as I said, you were around during this thing that we call the world, the whole Earth electronic link. Do you see that, and it was established in 1985, do you see that as the first real social media site? I don't think anything, I don't think you can ever um, sort of nail down that kind of first uh, the well was certainly, you know, maybe the first time that using network computers uh, to communicate and form a community was something that emerged um, as a as a uh, an option or seemed like a possibility for people outside of um, smaller subcultures of, you know, uh, uh, computer, either computer programmers or people who uh, uh, hung out on bulletin boards. But there were bulletin boards before the well. Uh, and before that, there were systems like the Plato system. Uh, and people had their own bulletin boards on, you know, uh, university computer systems. And of course, there was Usenet. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of it's, a, I think, a little bit of a fool's game to get into the whole question of first. It's sort of, think of it more as this sort of um, all these different threads that gradually get intertwined and form a, a bigger thing. What was or what is, Scott, a bulletin board? Well, a bulletin board was, uh, if you go back to the 80s and you think of, 
uh, people just beginning to put PCs on their desks. Uh, and if you were, um, you know, you had a, a, a PC or uh, later a Mac, um, uh, and you had a modem, which was literally a, a device before, before they were a part of the computer, they, they were actually um, uh, these things that where you would put the headset of your phone into an acoustic coupler and it would make noise, the, the same noise that people later associated with modems, that high-pitched kind of whine. Um, you would, you would uh, have your computer, your personal computer, dial up to a, uh, uh, dial a number, connect to what was essentially another person's PC uh, that was that was um, keeping, that was running a program that would let you post messages, read other people's messages, um, thus the term bulletin board. I know you're not keen on firsts, but do you remember the first time you heard the term social media? Or was that just something that everyone talked about instinctively when they talked about the internet? The term social media is actually kind of a latecomer. Uh, if I could be wrong, but I don't think... You're never wrong, Scott. It, it, it didn't really come... It certainly didn't come into wide use until the mid-2000s, I would say. Before that, the framing, the term, the, the metaphor was much more about uh, online community and virtual community. That was the title of uh, the book Howard Rheingold wrote, largely based on his experiences on the well, but also addressing a, a lot of its predecessors. That book came out in like 1995. I don't think, I, I, if you looked uh, in the index uh, to that book, for instance, I don't think you'd hear, you'd find uh, the word social media. Ad, you want to get Howard on the show before we, we went live, we talked about how easy he is to track down. He's over in Marin, I hope. Um, what was the well like? Scott, you were involved. Was there something distinctive or was it really no different from Twitter or Facebook or any of these other social media platforms? Well, it was distinctive. I think what, and, and there's been great work on, on the well, there's Katie Hafner's book and there's, uh, which, which is a chronicle of it. There's um, books like um, uh, Fred Turner's book about, you know, the counterculture and, uh, uh, the internet. Um, I think the, the, the well was a project that came out of the sort of, uh, uh, communitarian, um, world of the, you know, the seventies. Um, and then it's, it started as a project that involved, uh, the, the whole earth people, um, Stuart Brand and, and, uh, uh, you know the 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 sort of connection between that world and the the more um, sort of entrepreneurial and libertarian side of the, uh, that 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 culture kind of evolved in the direction of and all of that kind of came together in 1986 uh, when they started the well and then the other key ingredient was the Grateful Dead um, because in the earliest days of uh, the well, which was a costly thing to get on at the beginning, you actually paid by the hour, uh, every hour that you were connected. Um, 
the the people who kept it going were Grateful Dead fans who used it as their because they were itinerants. They were people who were following the band uh, as it toured, and they lived in lots of different places. And I guess many of them were PC enthusiasts, so they already had the equipment to dial into the well and use it as their bulletin board. Um, so all of these things um, sort of played into the unique um, character of the well. And the other, uh, the other factor that, that fed into it was that uh, media people picked up on it fairly quickly because reporters are always looking for stories and journalists don't always, ha haven't always uh, up until that point had a way to sort of network across newsrooms. Newsrooms were very isolated, siloed. Um, and suddenly the well came along, there was this media conference and, and journalists were, were, you know, sort of hobnobbing in a way that now we take for granted. Twitter has became the place for doing that uh, over the last 10, 15 years. But it, it, in, 19, in the late 80s, early 90s, this was mind-blowing. It was not something that had really happened before historically. So th th those were some of the things that made the well really significant. The other thing was that it was a weird and wonderful combination of sort of public discourse, people arguing about politics and culture and, um, you know, matters of, of the public sphere and um, a social community where people were making friends um, and were sharing their personal kinds of um, trials and triumphs and that sort of thing. Uh, and all of those threads were later, I think, um, would later resurface in a, you know, uh, some similar ways and some different ways in the movement that uh, came to be known as blogging. I want to get on to blogging later. You you wrote uh, Say Everything, which is probably the most authoritative book on the history of blogging. Um, but you mentioned this crossover between journalism and tech. Uh, we've had John Markov on the show a couple of times. I know you know him very well. New York Times, longtime New York Times technology writer, has just written a very interesting book about Stuart Brand. Was Brand... Um, the spirit of the well in his weird combination of abrasiveness, thin-skinned, thin-skinness, if there's such a, a, a word, and on the other hand, this open, generous communitarianism. And maybe I'm being unfair or maybe too fair to Brian. Yeah, I don't actually, I mean, I, I only joined the well in, in, I think it was around 1990, um, and by then, Stuart Brand was no longer even involved. So I wasn't around uh, at the time that he was involved. And uh, honestly, you know, I don't know him well. And I can't really, you know, I, I never, I, I, I don't think most of the people who made the well their home were terribly aware of him personally or his influence. I think it was more that, uh, you know, what I know about his history now, obviously, is that he goes, you know, he goes back to uh, Ken Kesey and, and you know, the, the, the 60s. Um, uh, and, of course, he's still around now. So he's he's and still writing, still, you know, a, a public figure. So he has this kind of um, uh, long term um, uh, presence. 
But I think the well very quickly became as, you know, and, and again, so many of the so many of the stories of social media were um, uh, pre um, previewed in in things that happened on the well, which is why it's still such an interesting story. One of the things that happened was that, you know, the community takes over um, uh, to the extent that it is able and that it can. Um, the the people who uh, joined pulled it in lots of different directions, whether it was the deadheads doing their thing, the, the media people doing their thing. There was a very active Gen X conference. There was a Women on the Well conference, which was, um, you know, just just for women. And, and there were people who thought that was a really wonderful thing. And there were people who who were unhappy that they were excluded. Um, and that there was, a you know, if, if you think about that happening in the early, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, and then you think ahead to uh, the kinds of, um, you know, wars, gender wars that took over so much of social media in uh, later years, you can, you can see, you know, that. Um, I also think, you know, you asked about uh, uh, Stuart Brand's character, and, and I think that the, the, the sort of abrasiveness and openness. I think that combination, um, you know, on the one hand, openness of like it, in an online community um, in ver to, to varying degrees and in various ways, um, the door is generally open, right? You, um, you know, you have a, 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 a space that lots of different people enter uh, and, and uh, interact uh, and the abrasiveness see, has seemed to be a trait of, um, you know, online communication, again, from the very beginning. Bulletin boards were famous for um, people fighting with each other. Uh, Usenet had, you know, and uh, the early internet was full of flame wars. Um, that's where the, the, the term flaming originated. Um, and all the way from that, you know, direct line to... The world of Twitter, as it, it became, and now the the world of sort of multiple social media platforms with um, the intense polarization. That we... Are you saying, Scott, that we can see the emergence of a type? Maybe not Stuart Brand. I don't want to personalize this mm -hmm. too much. Yeah, but a type of person who was both simultaneously um, very thin-skinned very easy to offend, also somewhat offensive, um, and that this living in public, which the well in some ways pioneered, um, created a new type of person? So I, I mean, I think there's a chicken and egg question there, um, uh, which has been endlessly debated and, and never resolved, which is, is the medium um, and the form and the structure of online communication somehow um, either does it create this sort of personality that you're describing uh, or uh, is, you know, does that somehow pre-exist and, uh, you know, is it just manifesting itself uh, in this in this medium in ways that it couldn't before? Uh, I don't I don't think anyone has has, you know, sort of definitively answered that my personal view is that um there are dynamics of uh online communication that make it easier for this 
personality type to um, dominate. Uh, and that at the certainly in the early days, uh, in the earliest days, whether we're talking Usenet or the well, um, or even the early web, and and perhaps you know some of the early days of blogging, you did not have uh, you, you you had a, 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 an idealistic belief in uh, the the power of the individual, um, the importance of free expression. Uh, a sort of libertarian ideal that many held of, you know, free speech as the ultimate um, uh, um, kind of good. And, and all of that was a sort of weighing the scale way down on one side. And the other, the other part of the other half of the scale, which has begun to receive more attention and more weight over, certainly over the last decade is uh, what happens in a group when uh, you let, it is, you know, some individuals shout others down. What happens in a group when um, you are uh, sort of allowing the loudest voices to dominate or you're creating incentives for people to fight? Uh, all of those questions that we've sort of uh, explored endlessly in the age of Facebook and Twitter. I'm talking with Scott Rosenberg, the author of Say Everything, the definitive history of blogging we're going to come back and talk specifically about blogging in a second i just want to remind everyone that uh this show keen on is partially brought to you by liberties a quarterly journal of culture and politics excellent new publication scott will get an annual free subscription for dedicating his time to keen on and i hope many of you will go to liberties uh, journal.com to have a look at uh, what it has to offer. I'm going to run a short video on Liberties and then we'll be back with Scott Rosenberg talking about blogging. We'll be back in a second. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought, a quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. As I said, you can find Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are back with Scott Rosenberg, the author of Say Everything, a wonderful book, a, a classic in its own way about blogging, how blogging began, what it's becoming, and why it matters. It was written almost 20 years ago now. Um, Scott, how did it begin? How do we trace the origins of blogging? Give me some years here. Yeah, I, I, I started the story in 1994 or five, which was the moment that the web um, which had been around for several years already, but the moment that it really came to uh, public consciousness, people uh, like me sort of learned about it in 1994 uh, and said, wow, there's this network that anybody can sort of create their own online um, home, homepage with. Uh, and it was a, a kind of, uh, it was a separate, not controlled by, um, Entities like America Online, Prodigy, CompuServe, which were sort of the big, the big tech of their day. Um, and it was this sort of 
a new space that seemed to invite creativity, individuality, and self-expression. Um, so I, uh, I started uh, Say Everything with the story of Justin Hall, who was maybe, you know, the most successful and best known uh, exemplar of the, the very first wave of people who built websites in the era of um, when Netscape was starting and the web was just beginning to become popular. Um, Justin was at that time a college student. Uh, he created this site called links.net where he um, link, posted lots of links to other websites, which was something that uh, one did in the era before search engines um, because that was how you would find other websites. Uh, and he also kept an online diary, which was basically a um, an account of his life. Uh, it was extremely um, self-exposure uh, oriented. It was what, you know, a, a decade or so later, we would start to call oversharing. Um, and it's uh, in that way. What did he overshare, Scott? Oh, well, he just, he would tell, you know, he was 19, 20 years old. Um, he would uh, share his, the stories of his um, uh, sexual life. He would, uh, a few years later, he would begin posting photos. Um, you know, he, he, he was a believer in um, uh, self-exposure as a, uh, as a, a social good. Um, and uh, I think in that regard, you know, the, a lot of the, a lot of the, the initial react as blogging took off, uh, it didn't acquire that name blogging uh, for uh, until 1999. So, you know, who, who like, came up with the word? Uh, it was a guy named Peter Merholtz, um, who at the time was a web designer. He had his own, weblog. So the, the, the term blog is a short form of weblog. Weblog was what these sites, which um, involved, you know, short posts that people would just um, uh, uh, put to, on their own websites in this reverse chronological order. Um, weblog was a name that uh, another uh, participant in that scene named uh, Jorn Barger um, came up with. And he's decided to call it a weblog, like you keep a log, um, you put it on the web, um, made sense. And Peter, uh, as a joke, one day posted on his weblog, I think I'll, I'll, I'll I'm gonna pronounce weblog, we blog, and I'm gonna shorten it to blog. And it was a joke, it was a, it was a parenthetical aside. Uh, and this is a relatively small scene at the time. People know each other. This was 99. Right. People are reading one another's uh, weblogs. And it was kind of a gross term in a way. It was like, it doesn't, it's, doesn't sound very um, uh, appealing. Blog. It's a, it's, it's, you know, if you ran it through a, uh, a sentiment analysis, uh, you would find probably that it's not, uh, it, it doesn't conjure, you know. Uh, it's not a diary. It doesn't beauty. speak in, um, in that sense. But but people embraced it sort of as a joke. And before you knew it, uh, uh, then uh, uh, this company called Blogger um, uh, started up, and which became Ev Williams's company. So Evan Evan Williams and Meg Horahan started it. 
uh, out of an, uh, it actually was a sort of side project from another company that they had. Uh, kind of like Twitter in a way. Exactly. Um, and that became um, sort of the first big blogging platform or provider. Uh, and, and I think its success sort of sealed that term's, um, you know, uh, centrality. Would it be fair to say, Scott, that the whole point of blogging was that you didn't need programming skills to publish essays and photographs and even video online, that that's what distinguished it from building a website in the old days, in the early to mid-90s? Yeah, I think I think that's true, but I would put it within a larger context that um, the, the entire history of sort of uh, expressing human expression on the web has been this sort of sequence of steps at every phase. Um, someone is coming along and saying, uh, now you don't need to be a programmer. Um, and so if you go back to the very beginning, the web itself was sort of like uh, this thing saying, you no longer need to know Unix commands. All you need to do is learn this thing called HTML, which was really easy. Uh, it was just like putting little, little um, bracket codes around your text so that someone like me, basically a writer, um, not a programmer, uh, learning HTML in 1994 was really easy. There were like 15 things you needed to learn and you were done. It's gotten much more complicated since then. Um, and so putting up a website when I wrote my first website in 1994 was actually really easy and you didn't need to be a programmer. But it became more and more complicated. And within several years, people began, people felt like, uh, oh, I, I do it, creating a website, that's beyond me. Um, and the blogging tools that, I mean, the blogging blogs emerged first. Um, they were largely the, the, the original bloggers. Most of them were themselves programmers, people like Dave Weiner, who you uh, had on the show, uh, and, and many of the other um, uh, early bloggers were programmers who um, uh, basically had to invent tools as they went along for making it easy to create these websites that 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 let you just post things in reverse chrono chronological order. Um, having built these tools for themselves, they then said, okay, I wanna make this available to people, many more people, people who aren't programmers. That was the impulse behind Blogger. It later became the impulse behind WordPress, which actually you know became sort of the, the, the dominant platform for blogs and continues to be that to this day. Um, and so there was always this sort of idea that um, uh, it would be easy for non-programmers to do it. Ironically, over time, um, blogs, as they became more popular and people tried to do more things with them and make money with them and use them to create online publications and all of these things that, that this simple form got put to use for, uh, suddenly blogging became complicated. And again, you, then you had uh, something like Twitter came along and said, no, you don't need to have your own site. You don't need to have a domain. You don't need to have a blog. Just all you need is an account on this service and type 140 characters and you have expressed yourself on the internet. Scott, let's go back to our old friend, the chicken and the egg. Uh, you mentioned Dave Weiner. 
very talented programmer, one of the, the pioneers of blogging. Also, I think, uh, and I don't think he would disagree, a very strongly opinionated uh, libertarian uh, thinker. Is there a connection between the say everything technology or the, the technology that guys like Weiner developed that allowed everyone to say everything and the kind of things that were being said by the early bloggers and then by the pioneers of, of Twitter and Facebook of, of saying everything, of, of not keeping anything in reserve? Well, I think it, it, there, there's, there's a few dimensions to this. The first dimension is that, yes, there's no question to me that the original impulse in blogging is very individualistic, right? It's, as you say, this is my blog. This is, uh, you know, my voice, um, and I'm going to I'm going to write about whatever I want to write about, whether it's a journalist doing reporting, whether it's a person keeping a diary, whether it's uh, a student just sort of complaining about schoolwork, um, whether it's someone creating a, a fictional world. There's endless, you know, it, it's it's a blank slate, so you do what you want with it. Um, and the, 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 you know, the principle in the earliest days was that because th these were one person operations, there was no editor, right? Uh, you, there was no editor filtering what you uh, were saying. Uh, there was, you know, th that was kind of, uh, 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 you could have an editor for a blog and over the years, many blogs did uh, but but the original sort of ideological impulse was very much to say no more editors, no more gatekeepers. Um, uh, this is, you know, this is my voice. Uh, now, almost immediately uh, as these things happen uh, in, in the online world, there's a sort of countervailing force. And that force in um, the blogging world was, was uh, a sort of pushback or um, uh, feedback from two different directions. One is um, the community of other bloggers, because this was a scene uh, and ultimately became many, many different scenes that were loosely connected or in some cases not connected at all. But um, most blog blogs took, you know, evolved at, in relation to other blogs, particularly at, uh, in, in the form of just inspiration, right? Most people who started blogs in the early days were people who saw something that someone else was doing and said, I really like that. I want to do that myself. So there's that kind of inspiration. And then you're suddenly you're a part of a small scene. You're doing things. Other people are doing things. There's cross-linking. There's, there's people praising one another. There's people criticizing one another. Um, so that's a part of the sort of feedback loop. And then the other feedback loop that uh, came in somewhat later and more controversially was comments. Uh, the comments on blogs where people are, uh, readers are talking back to the individual who is expressing uh, him or herself on, on the blog. So then suddenly you're, you're going from this is my uh, space and my world to all these other voices coming in. Um, in the classic blog format, the blogger is still ultimately in control because the blogger can delete the comment if, if it's, you know, that's what the, uh, the, the bloggers want to do. Um, 
But the comments and the sort of drama and the conflicts that tended to happen in comment spaces on blogs, I think, presaged the um, uh, later world of social media. Uh, you had uh, the very much the same dynamics. You had uh, situations where people were, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, what, what we would now today say, um, you know, they were they were canceled, um, you know, or people who we uh, just did a show on on canceled earlier today. Uh, Scott, the, finally, there's so much to talk about here. And I know you need to run. Um, looking back now, you've, you've been around right from the beginning, from the well days onwards. Now you're very senior editor at Axios. You were the co-founder of Salon. So, you know, your way around both user-generated content media and more traditional mainstream media. How much as we grapple with all the consequences of Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and so on and so forth in 2023, how useful is it, do you think, to go back to the origins, to go back to the days of The Well or Dave Weiner and WordPress and Blogger? Is it helpful? Um, and what can or should we learn from those days if we're to get social media a little bit better uh, in, in, in the age of X and, and TikTok and, uh, and threads? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, 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 you're, you're sort of preaching to the choir here in that I am, um, uh, you know, partly a, a historian and um, think that, you know, one of the tragedies of the tech industry is that it too often ignores its own uh, past and does not learn lessons that it should learn. So I think there's always, you know, incredible value in going back and looking at over, uh, looking over these these stories. Um, to me, there's two there's two really valuable lessons today. One more positive and one more you know more negative. The positive uh, thing to that, that we can learn by looking back at the early days of blogging and uh, early days of the web um, is just how central and important the, um, the, the value of um, people's desire to be heard is. Um, and, uh, separate and apart from the economic uh, incentives and the, the economies of, you know, blogging eventually became sort of like you can, you too can quit your job and and you know make a fortune as a blogger or something. There, you know, the, the, everything everything in in the online world ultimately you know becomes a, a sort of um, a hustle like that. Um, but the that isn't what blogging really was about, and it's certainly not um, you know uh, uh, what why it's interesting to look back at it. The 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 impulse first self-expression is real um, and people's desire to connect in some authentic way, however difficult or even impossible it may feel today, given what so much of online spaces have become. Um, I, I think that that's just, that's still central and, and uh, it can't be ignored. The more negative lesson is just that one that I think um, the social media founders uh, never really understood uh, and they could have learned uh, if they had gone back and, and understood more about the early days of blogging is about exclusion. Um, 
the uh, bloggers always felt that their the scene they built and the world they created was one that was open to everyone. And that was true theoretically in that there, if you, you could always start a blog, um, but the world, the culture that they cr created was heavily um, male, heavily white, heavily um, um, organized around programmers and what they were interested in because that was they were that they were the people who were doing it. And while many of them um, did this it, completely, uh, you know, with goodwill, um, and it wasn't necessarily uh, their desire to create an exclusive world. Um, it it was that uh, in many ways, nonetheless. Um, and with social media, I think um, again you had uh, people creating online communities, platforms, um, uh, communications tools that they thought were universal. When you know, when you think about Facebook and how it started, you had a network that was built around a 19-year-old Harvard sophomore's idea of what the most important aspects of communication were. Um, that was always going to be really limited. Uh, and uh, Facebook would have been, I think, a very different creation uh, if someone, if Mark Zuckerberg had been someone who actually understood anything about the, the you know, history of uh, the web that had preceded him. Had Zuckerberg been a chicken, Rather than an egg, things might have turned out okay, Scott. I guess so. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know which side of that line you'd, you'd want to put him on. <laughs>